Well, thanks for having me this morning. Uh, it is exciting to be in the Christmas season, uh, the anticipation of the birth of Christ, and um, just dwelling on the passage uh, that was assigned to me uh, has just been a joy and a blessing. And I will say, did you, you assign these passages, right? Yeah, it was jam-packed with about 20 different ways that this sermon could go, so I will not do this justice uh, whatsoever, but hope to draw a few things out of Luke chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, you can learn, uh, turn to Luke chapter 1 and verse 26 is where we'll start. So we're going to do the ESV, which will come up there. And as I was researching, I can't believe how many sermons uh, have been preached on this, I guess, you know, every time Christmas rolls around, it's a very popular passage, but Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month of the angel Gabriel, in, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. It's one of the most... Amazing things to read uh, when we just doubt. Nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And then just a follow-up, Matthew one twenty-three, which I think ties in well with the, the sermon. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Lord, we come before you this morning, humbled that you came down to dwell with us. That you came down as Emmanuel, God with us. That you humbled yourself to experience rejection, misunderstanding, denial, humiliation, crucifixion. Lord, and as you hung there, Isaiah says, like a sheep, before the slaughter, you did not open your mouth. Lord, we thank you, um, and we cannot ever, I think even in eternity, fully comprehend what you did for us. We will be learning about it forever. 
and be in awe forever for what you did. Lord, you are with us. Lord, and we thank you for that. Not a single one of us in this room is worthy. Lord, there are no great and no low among us, Lord. We are all equally in need of your saving grace. Lord, and open our eyes just a little bit more uh, to what you've done and how you did it, and give us comfort, um, especially in just what seemed to be some troubling times around us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So, Emmanuel, God with us. Divinity dwelling with humanity. Now, as we, as I said, there's a lot where this passage can go, a lot of different routes um, and a lot of depth to it, as with most scripture. Um, but I'd like to just hit on a couple of things. And one is that jumps out at me is that the angel came to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, at this time, Nazareth was just a small community, probably a few dozen families. It was just a little agricultural town. And in the area, it had zero significance. There were no trade routes, and there was no economic importance. It was basically a town that was unimportant, insignificant, and passed over. And the people of Nazareth, as well, were considered insignificant, unimportant, and passed over. Yet, the angel of the Lord comes to Nazareth. And knowing a little bit about that Nazareth was really unimportant, it's not mentioned a single bit in the Old Testament. It's not mentioned by Josephus. It's not mentioned in the Talmud. Nazareth really had zero significance, and that's why Nathaniel in John chapter 1 says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Obviously, in hindsight, the answer is yes, because that's where Jesus came from. And the answer is yes, because God works in this way. He uses places and people that the world passes over for his purposes. We're all familiar with this passage from 1 Corinthians. One of my favorites when I feel like getting up here, and I'm sure Tim feels the same way and Josh feels the same way, Um, When you get up here, you really don't feel worthy of sharing the word of God. Every morning, I am intimidated when I'm preaching, driving in, saying, Lord, this is all you. I hope you have something. And 1 Corinthians gives me hope when it says this, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, such as Nazareth, such as a young virgin woman named Mary, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. And then here's the key part, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. As a society, we are drawn to power and to wealth and to significance and to the elite, our eyes tend to shift toward what is grand and glorious. Just uh, a week ago, I was photographing a wedding, and if you follow me on Facebook or were Facebook friends, you saw that I met somebody famous. I, I'd never have heard of the guy, but supposedly if you watch The Walking Dead, you don't have to raise your hand because we don't want to cast judgment on, uh, I don't even, I just know it's about zombies or something. But um, this guy, Stephen, how do you pronounce his last name? Young? Okay, good. None of you watch it. 
so you probably wouldn't recognize him either. But this famous actor, he's got 1.5 million followers on Facebook or something like that, was at this wedding. He was the cousin of the bride. And throughout the entire wedding, everybody was asking him for a photo, doing selfies and getting a photo and being in the photo. My co-shooter, Dan Fossey, who comes to the second service, is a huge Walking Dead fan, and he was giddy. Um, Stephen goes to the photo booth, and Dan nudges me, and he goes, he just went to the photo booth. When he gets, when he's coming back, when he's coming back, I'm going to ask him for a photo. And seriously, the entire time, he's not, he's supposed to be there working and like photographing the wedding, but the entire time he's just looking, waiting for Stephen to come back. And then it took like 10 minutes, and then finally he comes, and at one point, Dan, he saw him go into the bathroom, and Dan's like, maybe while he's in there, I can go and ask him for a photo. <laughs> like, uh, awkward. But, um, so anyway, he comes back, and, and he says, hey, Stephen, can I get a photo? And so we get this photo, but the entire day, from beginning to end, every, even, I, I don't even know who the guy is. I've never even watched the show, yet for some reason I was drawn to his presence, knowing that he was, you know, of elite status and famous. The church that I used to go to had a young adult ministry called The Bridge. A thousand plus young adults would come every Sunday night. And one of the young adults was a famous basketball player, Kyle Korver. And he would bring a lot of his friends um, as well. So some of the ex-Sixers players or things, they would come. And you could always pick them out because they're like seven feet tall. And you're like, oh, there's... But um, there was a few occasions I got to hang out with Kyle Korver. And one was when a bunch of us went um, to the beach for a bachelor party. And just know... And I was a huge basketball fan at the time. It's kind of waned uh, a little bit recently. But being around him, I was, I was nervous. I was stumbling over my words. Um, he didn't even know my name. Uh, my family would make fun of me and be like, oh, you mean your friend Kyle who doesn't even know who you are? I'm like, yeah, well, I, I hung out at the shore with him. But there was just this nervousness around um, somebody that was famous and wealthy and elite. And the amazing thing about Kyle is he's one of the most humble guys um, that I've met and does amazing things. He's a very strong Christian and, and sticks by his values among so much that can happen in the NBA. But we're drawn to this. And we look at people as if they are something more than somebody else. Looking upon somebody as if they're more important than somebody else. And James says, no, this is not the way the Christian should act. If Billy Graham came in through that door and sat down in the front row, I'm sure you'd all say, Mike, sit down. I think we got somebody more important here. But James says, this is not the way we should act. James chapter 2 says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes in your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes comes in. If he shows special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit at the floor, sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? When divinity interacts with humanity, he is often found in unexpected places. 
the angel comes to Nazareth and speaks to a woman that most likely had zero significance in her society. Yes, God can work through power and wealth and those sorts of things, but more often than not, we see him coming to the humble, to the meek, to the rejected, to the poor. And society just looks right over those people, and God is looking down at those people and saying, I will choose you to do my work. Because of what 1 Corinthians says, when you have nothing and God uses you, there's no room to boast because you know it's all God. But if I have so much, if I have eloquence and knowledge and education and degrees, and I think then, oh, wait, you know what? I am worthy to share and to preach and to give and to do. God says, no, that's not the way it works. First, you need to humble yourself, and then I will be able to use you in powerful ways because it will be me working through you, not you and your own strength. Mary responds and says, oh, sorry, the response of Mary. So the angel says, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor in God. So we see him coming down and descending to interact with Mary. And her response is that she's troubled and she's fearful. And we see this response throughout scripture when divinity interacts with humanity. There's a response of fear. Revelation 117 John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. That's quite the response. In the presence of Jesus, I fell at his feet although dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last. Psalm 211 says, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Now there's a fear that's good and that's right in scripture. Fear of the Lord. Being in his presence and trembling and being fearful because he is almighty God. But the fact of the matter is, is that God is the only thing in all of creation that should be feared. It's the only healthy thing for us to fear as Christians. The Lord is an all-consuming fire. Pretty scary. Creator and sustainer. All-powerful. Good and worthy. So yes, we should view him with an all-inspiring fear. C.S. Lewis says this in um, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I I love this uh, little quote here, this little section. If you've read the book, you might be familiar with it. It says, Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Ooh, says Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather, feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. God isn't safe. He can't be manipulated. He does whatever he pleases. And that should put some sense of holy fear in us. All creator, or all powerful creator God next to me. What what did you say, Tim, when you got up here about 
like we are unworthy. God, what was that? Kind of reminded me of this. We're not good, but he is good. There's something when you dwell in the presence of God that humbles you. When you sit before the word of God that humbles you. When you see the works of God that humbles you. When you stand before the starry night on these crisp fall nights and you see his creation that should humble you. In awe-inspiring fear of God. But to know, yeah, God's not safe, but he's good. And fearing him is right. So that's the good kind of fear. And then there's the wrong kind of fears. And I want to hit on two, and I think these are coupled a little bit with how Mary responds, with being troubled, and the angel having to say, do not fear. So two kinds of fears that are not good. One is the fear of making him Lord. And the other is fear because we do not trust him as Lord. So we have the one fear which is healthy, But then I think there are other fears when coupled with God. One is fear of making him Lord of my life, giving him control. And then the other is fear because I don't trust him as Lord. And nobody will say that out loud. God, I don't trust you. But it's in our actions and it's in our thoughts and it's in the way that we carry ourselves sometimes. Of You know what, God? I'm not sure I 100% trust you with what's going on. So the first part there, fear of making him Lord. Familiar passage, once again, Matthew chapter 19. says, And behold, a man came to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, You shall not steal, you shall not bear fault witness, honor your father and mother, mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess. He just keeps pushing Jesus. I'd just be like, okay, thanks, I'm good. He's like, no, what, what more? What keeps pushing him? And Jesus is like, all right, you want to know? Like, you want me to really push you to the edge? He says, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This man feared making God, making Jesus Lord. He feared making Jesus Lord. Why? Because he felt like he had a lot to lose. Fear of making Jesus Lord creeps in when we seemingly have a lot to lose by doing it. I love, just to be honest, I love my life. I love my job. I love my wife. I love my kids, sometimes. I love my home. I love my country, I love my church, I love my friends, and if I follow Jesus, I fear that I might be asked to give something up that I love, that I hold so dear, and that I hold so tight. 
Because I look through scripture and I look at a passage like this and I see the sacrifices that have been made by followers of Jesus. And I think to myself, I don't know if I can make those sacrifices. I like my life as it is. And if I follow Jesus with all my heart and all my soul, all my mind and all my strength, what's he going to ask me to do? That's scary. It's the unknown. So I fear making him Lord. And I'm sure I'm not alone. For the most part, we have it pretty good in this country. And we hold on to it tight and we don't want to give it up. If I follow Jesus, will he take those things away? Will he make me go where I don't want to go? Will he make me do what I don't want to do? And this is a common but unhealthy view of God. Because the truth of the matter matter is, whether I follow Jesus or I don't follow Jesus, he's going to do whatever he wants with my life. So I have a choice. I can fear that he's going to take away what I love and therefore say, I'm not going to follow you. Or I can follow him, and then no matter what comes, I know that I have Jesus. See, I think we believe, or at least I do in my theology, the way I grew up, is that you either follow, you don't follow Jesus and you get to keep what you have, or you follow Jesus and he's going to ask you to give everything up. Like, as if following Jesus is completely meant to be a life of sacrifice and pain and sorrow and worry and rejection. Yes, people that have followed Jesus live that sort of life. But viewing him like that is not viewing him as a good God, a loving God. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Our God is in the heavens, Psalm 115. Not many people preach on this verse when they're trying to evangelize. But it says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Basically, God's going to do what God's going to do. And you can't do anything about it. Psalm 115. But we can trust. Again, going back to that quote from C.S. Lewis. He is not safe, but he is good. He's going to do what he wants to do with our life. And we could either reject him and hold on to what we have or walk with him and say, God, it's all yours. Because in both scenarios, difficulty can come. But are we going to have the scenario without Jesus or with Jesus by our side when that difficulty does come? God will do what he wants to do. Making Jesus Lord doesn't mean, okay, now I have to live this life of sacrifice and rejection and worry and doubt. Making Jesus Lord means holding this life with open hands, trusting that God isn't safe, but that he is good, knowing that everything is his, not mine. Making Jesus Lord is the safest place that you can be. So the one hand, when you have it good, you fear making him Lord because you're worried about what he's going to call you to do. And then on the other hand, Fear because we don't trust him as Lord. Now, usually this creeps in in the opposite way. It creeps in when so much seems hopeless. And we say, can I trust you as Lord? Look at my circumstances. Psalm 13. David was going through some difficult circumstances. And he says, probably one of the most depressing psalms in the Bible. David says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? 
How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Wow. He was anxious. He was troubled. He was fearful. But yet, I didn't read the last two verses of that psalm, but yet he still trusted Jesus as Lord. You are far off, but I still trust you. I can't see you in this circumstance, but I still trust you. Everything is crazy around me, but I still trust you. I don't know if you're like me, but these current events recently are freaking me out and causing fear. Terrorism is defined as, or terror is a definition of a very strong feeling of fear, a cause of anxiety. Which means in my life, these terrorists that are doing things are succeeding in their purpose, which is causing terror. When I sent my daughter off to kindergarten, first thing that comes to my mind is Sandy Hook. And, you know, it's, it's scary to think. So I, I, picture th- I picture things in my head, and it drives me crazy. My wife always laughs at me because I'll just I'll put myself in the experience too much. But I just, I, th- I think about that, and I think about my daughter, and I get these images in my head of, like, what if that happened in my daughter's kindergarten class? like happened there. You know, people going to work to have a party and tragic things happening to them. People going to a movie theater to watch a movie and tragic things happening to them. And, you know, maybe you guys are stronger than I am, but this, I, I read the news way too much. I just got to put it down. But, you know, I, every time I go to see a movie, I think of what happened out in Colorado. When I think about my, not every time, but when, you know, I I send my daughter off to preschool, I think about what happened at Sandy Hook. And I think about all the craziness going on in the world. And I think of the fact that we are no longer safe, even just sitting here in a mass gathering. Like, gathering is no longer safe. And then I, I sit on my property, which is buffered, and I think to myself, this, here I am safe. Okay, somebody that wants to do harm, unless they really don't like me in particular, is not going to come down my driveway and hopefully do me harm. Here I am safe. Here I can hide out. Here is where is good. And then I'm reminded that followers of Jesus should not be shaken by things that happen in the world. I need to trust that Jesus is Lord. I need to trust that he knows exactly what's going on. We need to trust Jesus is Lord. And when fear creeps in, basically what we're saying is, Jesus, you're not in control. And we, not not me, I I stay away from debates on Facebook, but people, you know, you, you spout about it on Facebook and, um, 
the, the fear that I see from the Facebook posts of Christians um, is great. That this, this country is slipping away from us and we're holding on to it with a tight grip. But Christians should be some of the quietest people, I believe, on Facebook because we trust God. We don't trust our government. We trust God. We don't trust current events. We get on our knees and we pray and we say, God, we trust you as Lord. This country, which we hold so tight, could fall apart, but it's okay because we trust you as Lord. We have no fear. We have no anxiety. We are not troubled. And maybe it's not something big, but maybe it's something personal, like a health issue. Trouble with your kids or your family. Trouble at work. Financial stress. When life seems hopeless, we can trust Jesus as Lord. Mary was troubled and she was fearful. But I don't think she was having that healthy kind of fear. Because if you, if you read into it, it's not similar to what you read in Revelation about John falling as though dead. It says she was troubled and she pondered the saying in her heart. It wasn't one of those, oh my goodness, like these lights here feel like an angel. Like, oh my goodness. It was something a little different. And I don't know exactly what, you know, we can read into it. But I think it was some doubt on what God was calling her to do. Most likely, if we know about the town of Nazareth, her life was safe, predictable, and simple. And she's just going about her business, and all of a sudden the angel Gabriel appears and is calling her to do something big. In that time, he was calling her to have a child out of wedlock, and Joseph wasn't going to be the father. And the consequence, if fear was in her mind and in her heart, the consequence could have been death. Not that even if if she didn't die because of what she had done or what seemingly she would have done, living a life of shame and rejection. Like here's this woman, this young woman, unwed. Joseph isn't the father and she's pregnant. And she goes, imagine that in modern day. Yeah, well, the Holy Spirit got me pregnant. You're like, you know, you read back on it and you're like, oh yeah. But imagine that today. Imagine somebody walking in and saying, nope, no, the Holy Spirit did this. You're like, you're a loony. The Holy Spirit didn't do that. And, and now we're a little more accepting. But back then, that's, that's a death sentence. It's a life of shame. What the angel was asking her to do was big and it was heavy and it was hard. And she pondered those things in her heart. But the angel says to her, Mary, he will be great. He will be named Jesus, which means God saves. He will be the son of God. He will reign forever. You'll have the Holy Spirit come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Nothing is impossible with God. Mary, this isn't safe, but God is good. And Mary's response is a great response of faith. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Carrie was sharing as I was talking with her about the sermon, a quote that her pastor um, 
Phil used to say, feel the fear and do it anyway. Because we know that God, Jesus, they care for us. So much more than we could ever comprehend. Whatever's before us, feel the fear and do it anyway. Mary felt the fear. She was troubled and she did it anyway. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane felt the fear. It's the one moment where I look and I say, did he sin? Like, was this, obviously he didn't. I'm not preaching heresy here or anything, don't worry. But like, he was greatly troubled. He sweat blood. He asked if this cup would pass. But then he said, your will, not my will, be done. He felt the fear. Mary felt the fear, but they did it anyway. Because they know that God cares for them and that he is good. Matthew chapter 10 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. This Christmas season right now, divinity desires to dwell with humanity. Emmanuel, God is with us. He is present. He is there. He is knocking. He is pursuing. Like Psalm 23 says, that he is always pursuing us. And it might not look like what we expect it to look like. It may seem scary and cause us to fear, but we are loved beyond what we can comprehend. We are protected. We are given the promised Holy Spirit. And when we know that, and when we feel that, when we say, you will be Lord, I will trust you as Lord. I will look for you in the unexpected. We can respond like Mary and say, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Not one person is greater than another person in this room, in God's economy. When we reach out to the poor or help the hurting or the broken, we are not reaching down, we are reaching across. I think uh, Jay, somebody shared it recently, is like, you know, we, we're beggars looking for bread. And we found bread, and we just want to share it with other people. We have nothing up on the other person. And then the flip side is nobody has anything up on us. Emmanuel is desiring to dwell with us. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I don't think Mary gets enough credit. Um, if you came from a Catholic background, typically the pendulum swings. Like I've, I've spent a lot of time in Honduras and the Dominican Republic, and I see people make, in Mexico, see people making pilgrimages on their knees to a painting of Mary, and, and the pendulum swings too far this way. And then in our church, you know, the Protestant church, we talk a lot about uh, the disciples and Paul and Jesus, um, and then Mary kind of gets forgotten. But if she was entrusted to be the mother of Jesus. That's a huge task. 
the faith that she has in this response is that she might not have a lot of scripture devoted to her, but man, this is a woman that we should look up to and that we should honor and we should respect. And we should look at her life and say, give me the faith that she had to say, I know this may happen, but I'm going to do it anyway because, Lord, I trust you. Lord, we come before you this morning. And I want to say in full trust, but um, I know many of us lack it. Lord, we, we believe in our minds, but fear and anxiety and trouble dwells in our hearts. Mary was scared. She was troubled. She was fearful. But the angel reminded her that God is so much greater. Jesus says, fear, do not fear the person that can kill the body, but the one that can kill the soul and the body. It's a pretty strong statement. But it's basically saying you have nobody to fear but God. And it's okay because we know God is good. We know that he cares for us and we know that he loves us. And we know that he has the best for us. Lord, so just give us this faith that we see in this passage. Let us rise up in the midst of just so much craziness around us, in our country, in our world, and just even sometimes in our homes, in our workplaces. Lord, we trust you. And we trust that you're good. In your son's name we pray. Amen.